This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Radio family, good morning and welcome. We return with the weekend edition of Community Focus that's heard on our intercom stations. Your wonderful company every Saturday and Sunday mornings and an opportunity to continue to keep you well informed with the accurate information you need as regard the COVID-19 or the novel coronavirus. I, Renee Vaughn, your host for the program, want to say thank you for your listenership and the continuation of the good things that you do in our communities. And I certainly want to extend a good morning and a welcome to, and we're going to include her as the newest member of our community focus family, who is working very diligently to provide us with the information that we need. So I want to say good morning to you, Dr. Pam Oliver. How are you today? So glad to have you on the program. Hello, Renee. It is a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate you having me on for this important topic. Absolutely. And it the timing, I don't think, could be any more accurate than right now because there's just a lot of information out there. And as I mentioned earlier, I want to make sure that members of our listening audience that we also refer to as our radio family have the most accurate knowledge. And I couldn't think of a better individual to have on our public affairs program than yourself. So let's engage in a very informative conversation. Let's talk about what health disparities have been observed during this pandemic. Let's start there. So when we when people hear about health disparities, what we're talking about is any difference in outcome uh, for a group of people compared to another group of people. And so with this, what we have noticed is that there is a difference in the impact that COVID is having in the African-American community specifically um, versus other communities. Um, it's not that the COVID-19 virus discriminates. So there are people of all races, genders, ethnicities, religions, you name it, who are impacted by COVID-19. But what we have noticed is that the risk of more severe disease Mm -hmm. and the risk of dying from COVID-19 is um, higher in the African-American community. Now, how are African-Americans inherently more susceptible to something such as COVID-19? So, so the information that we're getting um, actually shouldn't surprise us um, because what we see is that uh, the virus is affecting people who have health conditions um, 
at, at baseline. So if you have high blood pressure, if you take medicine for that, even if it's controlled, but you have high blood pressure, right. if you have diabetes, or I'm from Eastern North Carolina, so sugar, and um, you uh, take medicine for it or you control it with diet, asthma, many of these health conditions that are higher or more prevalent in the African-American community mm-hmm. um, make people more susceptible to getting sicker with COVID and to actually having a higher rate of dying from it. So we see these conditions in all um, ethnicities, but right. in the United States, what we have known for a long time is that African-Americans um, do uh, d- uh, are diagnosed with diabetes, high blood pressure, and asthma at higher rates than the Caucasian or other communities. So when we have a virus like COVID that affects people with mm-hmm. those conditions, then we see more uh, a higher impact of people being hospitalized and um, even dying um, from COVID because of this. And Dr. Oliver, you mentioned those pre-existing uh, conditions that, unfortunately, for members of the African American community, they are at the at the top of the list. I mean, when you think about heart disease and and diabetes. There likely is a long history of it that not only just runs in that particular individual, but we're probably talking history in terms of other family members who may be or have been susceptible to it, correct? Exactly, exactly. So we see that it is, you know, it, you get that it runs in family, right. um, floor family history, exactly. Now, how many African-Americans are, or are many African-Americans, I should ask are employed as essential workers, is that also increasing the risk of contracting COVID-19? So it is. I think that when we um, when people have talked about this and we dive into what is it that may put some at higher risk than others, mm-hmm. um, we realize that um, some Americans and more African-Americans may have jobs that are in either service industries or um, with companies where they don't have the ability to work from home. Right. So we think at least a third, one in three um, Americans cannot work from home and that those are people who the people who can work from home are usually people who have jobs they can work from a computer and allows them to do social distancing. Exactly. But if you if you either are lower income or you happen to work um, in uh, industries where you don't have the luxury of working from home, you either have to take public transportation, you have to leave your home to go out right. um, to uh, be to go to work to survive and to feed your family. And so we've had some people who've actually you know highlighted that. Social distancing can be seen as a privilege. I mean, as a, uh, yeah, as a privilege. Like you are, um, it is a privilege to be able to hide away at home and protect yourself, which is what we know we need to do to control this. Um, but if you already have underlying conditions and you are forced to leave your home to go out, to go to the grocery store, to go to work, then you obviously are more exposed. Now, Dr. Oliver, too, let me, I want to backtrack just a little bit, getting back to the health disparities, particularly for African-Americans. Is there one particular age group, if we were to break this down even further, that COVID-19 seems to be affecting? Is it more, are you finding younger persons? Let's, let's give an age range between, say, 18 to perhaps 35, or is it more on the other end where you have 40 year olds and older, especially senior adults or older Americans that are being impacted by this? So I think that the, the what we realize is that 
testing positive for COVID is different than having severe complications from it. So we see people testing positive in our communities in all age Age groups. So we know that We know that there are children and younger adults who actually probably may have COVID but don't show any signs. They are asymptomatic, we call it, Mm -hmm. and can spread, which is why it was important for the schools to do what they did to shut down because that potential spread in the community could be um, uh, severe. What we do know is, though, if you're over the age of 60, Mm -hmm. that with or without, but especially with, some of these other health conditions, it puts you at higher risk for having more severe disease. And when we talk about severe disease, so a mild patient with COVID would have maybe fever, cough, um, they lose smell and taste. Um, But what we see in the more severe patients is there's a lot of shortness of breath. They have Mm -hmm. a higher chance of presenting and needing to be on a ventilator for support in our ICU units, and then um, of actually dying from COVID. So over the age of 60, and then the underlying health conditions that we talk about right. um, are put you at higher risk. And Pam, I, your timing just couldn't have been more spot on because I was thinking about that too, because there likely is not necessarily confusion, but knowing exactly the difference in symptoms Because when we talk about something as severe as COVID-19, and we also compare it, shall we, to something as serious as the seasonal flu, what are some of the major differences? Because there are some similarities to it where somebody may say, well, I probably just have the flu. But then they may not be under the realization it could be something much more severe as possibly having COVID-19 itself. Exactly. Uh, so we call this, we, we think that people with COVID or we, what we're seeing is people with COVID actually have flu-like illness with the fever. Right. Um, some, with, some people with flu will get cough um, and can actually get pneumonia from it. The shortness of breath um, is a distinct. And I will say that fewer people with COVID, some can, but the, um, the runny nose and sore throat can happen, um, not maybe as common as it can with the flu and other things. So they are very, very similar. Um, what we notice with the flu, though, is that people do improve um, steadily over a period of a couple of days. And only if they develop a pneumonia on top of it do right. they get to some point where they, they have shortness of breath. Right. Whereas with COVID, the way that it that affects the lungs, that people are um, uh, more likely to have significant shortness of breath. And what Mm -hmm. we tell people is you can't go from your bed to your bathroom without feeling pretty winded and it's noticeable. Mm -hmm. You need to need to be evaluated. Absolutely. And so the importance really for us to stay as much as we possibly can, uh, Dr. Oliver, in contact with our medical or our provider, our healthcare provider. Yes. And um, there are so many options. Our clinics all you know, clinics for um, uh, across our system and throughout our communities are here for our patients. We we don't want to make we want to make sure that if people need to be seen, we will see them. We obviously are um, trying to see people as much as we can mm-hmm. through a virtual platform. So yes. you know, from your phone or from a computer at home, if you have the ability to um, have a visit where you can see someone through a screen instead of coming physically out of your home to an exactly. office, right. then we do prioritize that in a lot of ways. I will say this is another 
area, though, that it shines a light on the um, socioeconomic disparities that can impact health Mm -hmm. and that some of our rural communities or our um, uh, patients who live in um, uh, lower income communities may not have access to broadband um, Internet and may not have the capability to do these visits. And I would say in those instances, you know, you those we would want them to actually uh, come call us and we will give them instructions and come to be seen as sitting at home and and, um, getting sicker. Absolutely. And of course, hopefully being able to reach out to family members who perhaps have that capability of having an individual speak with you virtually. I like that because when we look at the advent of technology and the way that we're doing things, First of all, you and I are having this conversation uh, virtually, which is wonderful. Of course, uh, many people are familiar with such um, technologies as Zoom. That has become huge among not just the the medical field or medical profession, but I mean with with businesses and corporations. And we think, too, of, of Skype and other means with which we can stay in constant communication with one another. Exactly. Yes, we, we're, we're trying to utilize that to stay in touch. Uh, we personally are reaching out to our uh, patients that we know may be higher risk just right. to check in. Uh, and so anything that we can do, and I think what you touched on, too, is important. Um, you know, I very much feel that we have to look out for each other as a community. Exactly. And um, if we're sheltering at home or staying at home and we know that there's someone in our community that we care for, could be a family member or neighbor, that may be higher risk and we can help them in some way, whether it's with um, food or errands um, or, like you mentioned, access if they need care. Um, I encourage us to, to do that, to take care of this, because it will take a village to get through this. Absolutely. Um, and the more we offer, the better. That Very true. Thank you so much. And that's a beautiful way to end the first part of our conversation. Well, Dr. Pam Oliver, I didn't say this initially from the beginning, but even as we got underway with this conversation, you radio family now. So welcome to Community Focus. It is a pleasure. I'm so proud to be part of the family. Oh, thank you. You are more than welcome. So I certainly have a a lot more questions that I want to ask you. And again, to just thank you, because you touched on something earlier in our conversation that you're right. We do have to keep each other encouraged as a community and as family. And I like that you touched on the fact earlier that you said there are individuals that are recovering from this. And in a time like this, we need as much good news and positivity as we can possibly find. That's right. Hold on to the glimmers of hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad we have a part two to this program. So, Dr. Pam Oliver, which, by the way, forgive me, I did not say you are with Novant Health. And to thank you and really everyone there for all that you continue to do to keep us informed in the community. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with more of the weekend edition of Community Focus. Radio family, we're back right after this. And it's more of the weekend edition of Community Focus. Thank you. Radio family, wonderful company as always, Saturday and Sunday mornings here on our intercom stations. And definitely wonderful company with members of our Community Focus family. We add the newest in Dr. Pam Oliver with Novant Health. And we continue, Radio family, in getting out to you and sharing with you the most accurate and latest information as it pertains to COVID-19. So, Pam, thank you for coming back. And as we do continue in conversation, how is Novant Healthcare for their team members? Let's talk about that. 
So uh, that is a, um, a great question. So we understand that our many of our team are struggling through this like others um, who are suffering in, you know, in other industries or businesses, either from fear um, and also because of some unpredictability with um, financial um, outcomes or what's gonna, what is the future going to look like. Right. So first, I would say I, we are not in it alone. We have had such tremendous support from our community and reaching out and appreciating our teams. So that we, we want to thank you all for that because it means the world um, for, the, for those who are on the front lines. Um, to deal with the stress of what it is to take care of, um, you know, patients who are pretty sick and some, you know, with our visitation policies needing to be restrictive so that we don't um, uh, spread COVID more or cause more of a problem. Right. Um, we have numerous resources, uh, whether it's spiritual care, uh, employee assistance programs, to be able to provide support and counseling to our um, to our teams, um, like we provided some short-term lodging, um, uh, care for um, or helping our team members to get uh, childcare. So some of the local agencies have helped with that, and we set up a, um, a program through Care.com to be able to help pay for some of that childcare, especially when the schools closed and certain daycares were not open. Right. Um, and so. The mental and emotional support has been huge. And then from a financial standpoint, we realize that, um, you know, some of our teams are impacted significantly. And so we have set up a disaster relief fund through our Novant Health Foundation. And that foundation is going to help with people who may be having difficulties with rent or groceries or child care. Because even if our team may be doing okay as far as um, their employment, maybe their partners or their spouses or whoever was helping um pay the bills could be impacted. And so we have this fund and we, between community members, our own team members and, um, um, and, and our physicians and providers, we had raised a million dollars as of this week. And as a system, we contributed an additional $10 million this week for that fund that our employees are able to um, uh, apply for assistance to take some of the stress off so they can really come to work and focus on taking care of our community. Absolutely, because their care is just as equally important in what they do to care for the rest of us. And thank you so much for sharing that wonderful uh, information because I want to take this opportunity and hopefully Radio Family be the voice for many of you listening to us here. And by the way, if you're just joining us, welcome to the weekend edition of Community Focus, heard Saturday and Sundays here on our intercom stations. I, Renee Vaughn, in wonderful conversation with Dr. Pam Oliver with Novant Health in that, Pam, I just wanted to personally extend a huge thank you to you and the entire, and I mean every single individual that works or is affiliated with Novant Health because the impact of this and what I'm sure the long hours that are put in on a daily basis to keep our community safe. And then when we think about the safety of so many healthcare workers and how you all are being personally impacted, we really have no idea what goes on behind the scenes outside of what we hear on a program such as this or what we may see in the news or here on a radio station is that long after this conversation ends, COVID-19 is still there. You guys and gals are still there on the front line. So just thank you so much for everything that you have done up to this point and what you plan to continue to do. 
Thank you so much, Renee. I think that our it is it is never nice to go through a crisis or a pandemic like COVID. I will. Right. I, I don't know that we can necessarily say there's anything good about it. Yeah. Um, I will say that in healthcare, our team shine when it comes to going back to our mission, which is to take care of our patients and our communities. Yeah. So I've been incredibly proud of the teamwork and collaboration that we've seen for people to rise to the occasion. Absolutely. And, um, so thank you. You're so welcome. Now, let me also ask this. All the information that you just shared, is there a particular way that if an individual does need to reach out for the assistance that you just mentioned, how do they go about doing so? So for the support for our own um, our, our own team members and um, on our internal um, website, then our team members have access to the application for that. Mm-hmm. And then anything related to education for what we're talking about, just general aspects of COVID-19 and questions that um, anyone could have, then we would re- um, recommend people uh, go to our NovantHealth.org website and we have COVID uh, resources and information there. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Now, as we do continue in this conversation, my next question for you, uh, Pam, are there any other documented inequities for other ethnicities or even the LGBTQ individuals? So specifically related to COVID-19, at this point, we don't have any other documented inequalities. Mm -hmm. I will say that, you know, we are really early in the data and understanding about COVID-19. It's been about four months since China uh, first started noticing a significant number of deaths that Mm -hmm. they attributed to a virus Mm -hmm. that now we know is COVID-19. And we have not blessed early on with the testing to be able to truly understand how many people and who those people are who impacted in our communities. So at this point, we don't have any additional um, information on anything to be concerned about there. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. We shift gears here a little bit. What is Novant Health doing to address COVID-19 related inequities? So uh, this this is really our history of um, really focusing on diversity, inclusion, and equity is paying off for us Mm -hmm. um, now more than ever. And to allow us to be able to look at those who are on the margin, um, who may be isolated and really need us more than ever. So there are a few things that I'd say that we focus on now. The first is access. And this has been something that in each of our um, communities, we have uh, worked hard on over the last few years. Um, We have we have specific screening sites and respiratory assessment centers, I would say, related to COVID-19 yes. that we, we put up in the community to have um, to be a resource to anyone who needs, who's having symptoms who needs it. And we opened a um, clinic in our Watown area in Winston-Salem, wow. um, which yeah. is traditionally underserved uh, area. Uh, we have three clinics in this location now and um, stood up a screening uh, and assessment center there for easier access to the community. Beautiful. Um, And we've done this in our other communities in Charlotte um, and Brunswick and Rowan and Davidson communities as well. So just trying to make sure that people have access. Um, We have a 24-7 helpline that's 877-9-NOVANT that we also stood up over four weeks ago when we started seeing um, COVID activity in North Carolina really as a source of education. Right. And so we want to make sure people have answers to their questions um, and know where to go. If you do not have a a physician that you see regularly, how can we get you connected to care? Um, We have a tool that we have um, been using in our clinics called My Community that helps our teams find 
food or housing assistance or whatever support mm-hmm. needs for our patients when we identify that, especially with the unemployment rates going up and exactly. all of the financial pressures, mm-hmm. um, we're utilizing that even more. That is um, excellent. Mm-hmm. And then I think, honestly, Renee, what you're doing here, education and awareness, is is really, really important to us. Um, you know, we have tried to push out as much as we can um, to our patients uh, through whatever platforms we may have. Um, we understand, as I, I know that as a physician, people might may listen to me, but we've actually utilized some of our celebrity um, partners mm-hmm. to try to push the message out even more. Um, hopefully, our community has seen that, and, and um, we can use all the help we can with getting that message out. Absolutely. Um, and lastly, I was just going to say, you know, yeah. we have um, the whole support of the community. When we think about health disparities, Mm-hmm. Um, much of this is related to underlying social and economic issues that exist, and it just impacts the health of the community. And so economic empowerment is huge to mm-hmm. overcoming health and so we have a lot of um, partners and suppliers who are diverse and minority-owned um, businesses. And we partnered before with Mechanics and Farmers Bank, which is historically is a uh, African-American right. yes. um, uh, found bank, and um, to provide loans to minority businesses um, who are partnering with us to be able to help them get through this. And we increased the support there recently um, with Mechanics and Farmers in order to um, support the economic Um, growth of these suppliers. Absolutely. And just wonderfully said with the information. And thank you for sharing what Mechanics and Farmers Bank, that is a well-known banking institution, primarily for our African-American communities. That's in a very familiar side of Winston-Salem, right off of Martin Luther King, and of course, not too far from Uh, one of our well-known historically uh, black colleges, and that being Winston-Salem State University. Exactly. Yes, they're great partners, and yes. um, we are happy to support them and um, anyone in our community, really, um, who we can um, uh, support through this time. Absolutely, because an- another thing, going back to what you just mentioned, that I really appreciate you putting the emphasis on in our conversation, yes, is the need for us to be together as a community. You know, we already have that with our own individual families, but we're also family with our neighbors, people that we work with, people that we genuinely care about and are concerned about on a regular basis. And when, and I'll back up a little bit too, because you were mentioning uh, a Novant Health facility in Watown. I'm very familiar with that area because I live on that side going into Winston-Salem. So I have, right. I have passed the facility a number of occasions, and it's wonderful to know that with that information that you shared, what is being done at that particular location. Because when you think about an area such as Watown, it's growing just like any of, the, any of our other major cities that are here in the Piedmont Triad. It is that um, we've had we had a clinic today's woman that focused on infant mortality and mm-hmm. prenatal care um, that was in the two seven one zero five um, zip code, so right. underserved. Um, area for years. And so the opening of Watown Pediatrics expanded to adult medicine and then we're now expanding to OBGYN. Those clinics have been or are permanent fixtures in Watown for access and support of our community. And so very, very proud. And I'll say that each of those clinics has evolved to meet the needs of the 
community. So whether it's interpreter services, it is social work and therapy on site so that our, our community members who actually um, can, you know, visit those clinics don't have to leave to go to other places exactly. for some of those really um, important needs. Um, so that those we are so proud of the work there. And so it was natural to be able to expand that site to include this now screening and respiratory assessment when it comes to COVID. Absolutely, because uh, Dr. Oliver, I was thinking too, when we hear the expression having something right in our own backyard, that's huge for area that's residents huge. in Watttown. Well, let me ask you this. Let, let's, let's go back. Let's take it before this pandemic broke out. How were you addressing health disparities before coronavirus? So one was through access when it comes to um, like some of the locations I just mentioned in our community. Um, You know, we have actually, from a data perspective, we have uh, evaluated where our patients come from, where we have significant uh, readmissions or gap, what we call gaps in care, Mm -hmm. and um, addressed those in numerous ways. So just in the last um, couple of years, we identified that our patients um, with pneumonia um, were being readmitted from certain zip codes more uh, at a higher rate than others. So they went to the hospital and then ended up back in the hospital more quickly than in some zip codes than in others. And um, in putting together programs to address education, outreach, follow-up, care, um, we were able to reduce those readmissions for our underserved community, which is where we were seeing the higher rates of readmission. Mm -hmm. And I'll say the amazing thing and the interesting thing for the community to know is when we improve the health of of going to improve the health of certain populations who we know we're having issues with, we actually improve the health of the entire community. So everyone benefited from the processes that we put in place. Beautiful. Now, all those resources still available? Yes, all the resources. Excellent. Now, uh, Dr. Oliver, let me ask you this next question. What are, and I'm sure this is very huge for many of our, our listening audience and our radio family, what care options existed for the uninsured or the underinsured, and will they be charged for testing? So, no, when we set up these testing centers, we very much, we understood there was a lack of um, testing in the state at the county level that could be provided, and we were blessed to be able to um, provide this. And so anyone who shows up to our um, testing and screening centers, we do an initial assessment and um, they will not be charged. If So for anyone who does not have insurance, they will not be charged. And anyone who does have insurance who registers and goes through the process, insurance companies right now are waiving co-pays and deductibles right. related for care related to COVID because they do want people to be able to come out and have access. Beautiful. Now, what of what if, let's say, if I can get it out, what if someone isn't connected to a primary care clinic? Is urgent care an option? Yes, we, uh, we there are urgent care centers um, in, in the community. We have a partnership, um, Novant Health, Go Health, urgent care clinics that are throughout our community. Right. And they are open, you know, day into the evenings, weekends. They are the solution for um, anyone who um, may not have a primary care doctor. And our 877-9-NOVANT number also now for people who want information and are not sure, they can speak to someone and we can actually get them connected to um, either on-demand virtual care or connected with a provider to see them. That's beautiful. I have a few more questions and I thank you because you you just hitting them like a champ, Dr. Oliver. Thank you so much. So let's talk about, particularly in this part of our conversation, there's a lot of new 
terminology to learn and we're definitely learning it at at the rate with which COVID-19 has impacted not only us as a local community, but really how this impact has been on a global scale. There's something that we've heard a lot of recently, and that's the concept of flattening the curve. What does that mean for our community, and why is that so important to know? So the curve that they are referring to is um, a prediction. Um, Mm -hmm. They plot out and they predict, based on what we know about viruses, about how people get infected, how many people will infect other people and how things spread. They they predict how many hospitalized, how many beds are needed, how many people will die Mm -hmm. over a period of time. And it's actually pretty phenomenal how... um, accurate some of these models can be when you look back at them. So the unfortunate thing is what we've seen in some of the what we call hot spots, the areas where they've had significant activity earlier, Mm -hmm. early in this, before they had as much time to prepare, um, the the significant number of patients being hospitalized requiring ventilators overwhelmed the health systems in those areas. Right. So there were, you've seen the bad stories are, uh, coming out of New York about not having the equipment, exactly. about right. potentially needing to make a determination about, you know, um, continuing ventilator for one person, if, you know, versus another. Those are horrible things that we do not want in our communities. No one wants that in our communities. Exactly. And if you need care that's not related to COVID and all the resources are being taken up because of a significant um, COVID impact, it's not good for anyone at that point. So flattening the curve is about social distancing so that we can lower the number of people who are impacted at any given time who need the health care resources so that we don't overwhelm the system exactly. and we can ensure better care, higher quality, better care for people, even if it's over a slightly longer period of time, but less impact so that um, we all benefit in that case. Absolutely. And that transition so beautifully, uh, Pam, with the next question, I'm going to reword this a little bit because initially, likely for many of our radio family tuning in to the weekend edition of Community Focus, and especially given the recent headlines, particularly for the city of Winston-Salem, and I'm pretty sure we're going to continually update our listeners as other cities likely will be taking a similar step. Uh, The mayor of Winston-Salem has now extended the stay-at-home order. So the question originally was going to be, are we nearing the end of the stay-at-home order, but is it still important to stay at home? Even if there are changes as far as an extension depending upon where we live. How important is it to emphasize to us that really part of the process of trying to slow down COVID-19 is adhering to the mandates that are in place? I would say absolutely it is important. And if people take one thing out of what I said today, it is that we truly need everyone to comply with the stay-at-home orders and use social distancing so that we can come out of this better. So we see that it's starting, we see that the social distancing is working in North Carolina so that we are actually not seeing a, you know, um, significant increase in cases on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. as they've seen it up. 
So we've seen the evidence that it's working. And I want to acknowledge, I understand it's painful. You know, um, it may be painful to stay home and it's boring and, you know, people are just tired. And I understand people want to get back to work. Um, I will say that the loss of life that we could otherwise deal with, the impact that we could have, um, to me, is not worth the trade-off. And that is why we are advocating as a community, as we we are in this together, for everyone to comply with the stay at home. Um, I'm going to say, I think that there's been a lot of media and press out there around how certain parts of the community may not be embracing stay at home Mm -hmm. as much as others. You know, I hear hear stories of cookouts and Right, exactly, yeah. (laughs) And I absolutely, you know, want to, I need everyone to reevaluate that. You all have someone in your family who is at risk, whether it's a grandmother that you cannot imagine being impacted by this in a, in a severe way that is devastating. Exactly. You, you know, a, a cousin or someone who has diabetes or mm-hmm. asthma uses an inhaler. Um, we all know someone if we're not at risk ourselves. And so for the sake of your loved ones and for the entire community, I advocate for you complying with the stay at home as long as the government um, says that we need this. Well said, Dr. Oliver, because we can also look at it from this standpoint as well. Do it not just for yourself, but do it for someone you care about and you love. That's right. Absolutely. So a couple of more questions before, and I hate to have this wonderful conversation come to an end, but faith communities have been profoundly impacted by COVID-19. What advice do you have for community members who may be feeling isolated? I, this goes back. I understand that, you know, the, the rituals of, of Sunday morning, um, you know, church and Bible study, and uh, they're, they're very important in our lives um, and don't want to negate that. Yes. I would say this is a time for us all to evolve and to use the resources we have. So mm-hmm. just as we are using Zoom now, I think people are able to get the message and support they need um, yeah. through other means, whether it's through, you know, television, televised uh, services, um, or through, you know, the internet. Mm-hmm. And once again, kind of the way that we are in healthcare reaching out to some of our patients who we know may be at higher risk, I think this is a time for the um, church community to reach out and support each other. You know, check on those who we know may need help, may Absolutely. need just a word of encouragement. Right. Um, and I think that that will help us to get through this and endure it. Absolutely. And, and just as an aside, uh, Pam, it has been a wonderful provision for me and my congregation you know, of course, there's nothing that will replace the the actual real thing when we're able to go to a place of worship and see each other face to face. But in a situation such as this, like you said, to know that our brothers and sisters are doing OK, it, it just makes things just a whole lot brighter. You know, we can at least see their smiling faces. <laughs> exactly. One last question. How do we move forward after COVID-19? So I I think that what we really, as we come out of this and we do an assessment, Mm -hmm. um, uh, debrief on what happened and why it happened, um, I do feel that for our community, for, you know, shining a light on health inequities and what we are already doing and what continued work is needed to overcome those is super important. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the idea, you know, we have had forever, the idea that we can't just show up in, the, in a moment of crisis, mm-hmm. um, that our team members are very much, we're part of the community, um, just like everyone else. So it's taking care of family, basically. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, we need continued engagement from 
community um, organizations, from businesses, um, from community members, to continue to tackle um, gaps in care or uh, the social, what we call the social determinants of health, the things that affect health more than medication and doctor's advice, things like, you know, um, safe housing and child care mm-hmm. and um, security and food, access to food. So it is incumbent upon all of us um, to reach out to populations in need and to take care of each other. Absolutely. And that transitions to my final question for you for the day, Pam. What lesson do you hope we've learned from all of this? Well, I hope that we've learned the um, value of uh, community. I hope we learn patience um, through all of this. Um, I hope we've learned that every life is important um, and that um, we can, we will persevere through this and we will be stronger on the other side. Yeah. That is a wonderful way to bring our conversation to an end. Dr. Pam Oliver with Novant Health. Thank you, family. You did a wonderful job. Thank you so much, Renee. Absolutely. And thank you, Radio Family, for tuning in as we do bring to a close, giving you the information. And I could not have done it alone. So, again, I want to thank Dr. Pam Oliver for joining me. Renee Vaughn. And thank you, Radio Family, for what you are continuing to do. Even though it's been a big adjustment in our daily lives, you still are making a difference in our communities. And for that, we say thank you. And that will bring to a close another weekend edition of Community Focus. Stay safe, take care, wash those hands, and definitely, until that next time, enjoy the rest of your day and this weekend. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.